Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. This is episode 62, Purgatorio, Canto ventottesimo, the sixth day, early morning. This is my third recording today in order to catch up with the days I missed. And I'm not sure it was a wise idea, given I am not fully recovered and my fever seems to be rising again. I'm starting to look at me from the perspective of what we've read so far and I definitely needed more time to let go of my self-imposed crazy expectations. Anyway, the poem is Dante's journey and Dante has finished his arc of redemption and we left him in the last episode on the receiving end of Virgil's exploration of his renewed freedom. Dante does not need a guide in Eden because he has been purified of earthly attachments and therefore he can now roam freely without fear of being tempted. He is about to get a taste of life before the fall. The first few verses keep the parallel with the prologue going as the forest in the garden is so luscious and thick that the soft sun of the hours just after sunrise can't penetrate it fully. However, this dark forest lacked the sinister quality of the darkness of sin in the Selva Oscura. The scene it depicts, with the light breeze and the sound of the birds, couldn't be any more different from the scary place it left six days prior. It's the kind of scene that we picture when we hear the lark ascending, or maybe that's just me. After walking some time, we find ourselves at the first of two rivers in the garden, the Lethe, the river of oblivion in classical literature in which Christians in Dante's Eden leave the memory of their sins behind them for eternity, as explained by Matilda, the woman represented by Leah in the dream. We will not know her name until the very end of the Cantica, which to me suggests that Dante was trying to stress the allegorical significance of the woman, but that didn't stop the commentator from going wild with hypotheses about who she was. Was she Matilda di Canossa, the Benedictine nun Matilda di Acheborn, or Matilde in Magdeburgo, who, like the former, wrote special books. Did he choose the name for a character who is no historical person because of the influence of all of these women, perhaps? Nobody really knows what Dante was getting at, except for a much more positive representation of the active life than the commentary on the dream suggested. At the end of the day, the active life is indispensable as a condition to reach the cardinal virtues and afford the earthly happiness that is represented by the earthly paradise of Eden. As for the parallel with Persephone, I think it was just a rhetorical device so that Dante the poet could add the bit about the poetry of the Golden Age in Dante the Pilgrim's final hours with Virgil. Anyway, Matilda is presented to us a joyful woman who is chuckling to herself while dancing happily among the flowers modestly rather than seductively. We are told that the reason for her joy can be understood in light of Psalm 91, or 92 depending on which version you are using, in which we see the psalmist delighting in God's works. There is a minor rabbinical tradition that attributes this psalm to Adam, writing to celebrate Eden itself at creation, but I'm not sure if Dante was aware of it and referring to it. Dante cleverly explains away the presence of the wind when Eden is unaffected by the weather, attributing it to the movement of the celestial spheres. Nothing to do with the horrible weather phenomena that negatively affect the life of those on Earth. 
Alongside this, we get the explanation of the two rivers, which are not generated by a source, but come directly from God's goodness. The first, I already mentioned, deletes the memories of all the sins that we committed. And the second river, the Yunoe, was Dante's own invention after making Cossetus a lake. So he could keep the number five of classical mythology for the rivers in the afterlife. This river could only work if the soul had drunk from the previous one, and its power was to reinforce the memory of all the good that we have done in life. The canto ends with the reference to the golden age of which the classical poets wrote about, which was the eternal spring of Eden. Dante looks at Virgil and Statius and finds them smiling, and then he returns his sight towards the beautiful woman. This clearly a nod to how he didn't renounce the still novel, but reviewed it in the light of his new theological understanding following the journey of purification. This isn't the earthly beauty of looks seen by lustful and amored eyes, but the beauty of grace shining through seen by a free man restored to his instantest state of grace at creation. The pastoral theme in this canto is meaningful when seen in this light, as it's a trope used in the literature of all the ages to talk about a state of happiness and peace. Spring is always seen as a happy time of renewal, and it's something we find across different cultures, not just the West. The whole explanation that Matilda gives us here is another reinforcement of the need for divine revelation to explain what is not sufficiently explained by science. In this respect, the canto is one of those prefiguring the coming of Beatrice, although in a way the whole poem so far did it too. It sets the scene for what is a special time in the poem, spanning the final five canti of this cantica. We see the restoration of humanity to its original design. In the words of Professor Barolini, we see the absolute perfection of natural beauty and natural beauty raised to the level of art. The language used reinforces the picture paints with that language. It's the bliss of this life ahead of the bliss of eternal life. It's in contrast to life after the fall, with all the darkness of sin that resulted from God giving us free will so we could love him freely, even though it meant giving us the ability to do the opposite of what he wished for us as the loving father he is, which is what we did. The canto is perhaps the one most obviously classical in its entirety, showing us Dante's skills and knowledge, and the verses on the Golden Age remind us of the imprint we all have, Something in us humans is longing for a home that isn't deserved, whether or not we realise what that longing is, or, in the case of the classical poets, we can just put into words a partial view of it. I suspect the next few episodes might be shorter because the theme of Eden is spread out over five county, and so they are not as dense as some of the stuff we had before, but we'll see. Now that I am caught up to the schedule, I can say, once again, speak to you all tomorrow. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or adds if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.